Resolving conflict is a skill. Not anyone can walk into a tense situation, appreciate what it could lead to, and then know how to defuse the aggression. Knowing how to simmer down a volatile moment could be something we all, at one point or another, wish we knew how to do. Today, we're going to be hearing from the experts in conflict resolution, the staff that make up the prison service across England and Wales, where potential conflict is part of everyday life. I'm Ben Bailey Smith, and this is A Prison's Guide Too, the podcast series all about unearthing life lessons, not from CEOs, entrepreneurs and celebrities, but from one of the most overlooked sources of inspiration, the staff behind brick walls and barbed wire fences, the people who make up the prison service across England and Wales. And this week, we're offering a guide to conflict resolution. I spent 10 years as a youth worker and I honestly cannot recall a week that went by without some form of conflict. I mean, I was so often trying to defuse situations in all sorts of different types of clubs. You know, I worked with young people who were uh, out of education. I worked with young people who were homeless. Um, I worked with young offenders. So many different specifics. For me, there was a lot of resolution to be found in taking away that idea of young offenders as a label, taking away the, even the idea of, oh, this is a big group and I'm going to speak to you all as one homogenized group of men and bringing in the, this is a young man, his name is Tariq, this is what he's going through, let's find out about each other, became much more human and much easier to deal with difficult or challenging behavior or reactions. I found we were able to find a common ground so much quicker and easier. And a lot of these boys came out of their shell at that point. And also I think I probably felt less intimidated being with one-on-one rather than in a group of young people who, let's face it, are facing challenges that I've never come close to facing in my life. Over the last month, ACAST Creative, along with HM Prison and Probation Service, have been speaking to prison staff, former prisoners and leading forensic psychologists to share with you how they approach resolving potentially violent situations. And today, we're going to hear from them all. Our first voice is Sandra. Sandra has been working as a prison officer for the last four years. In that time, Sandra has come to understand what a prison officer needs to be and how the job, at times, can be so rewarding. As much as we're prison officers, I would call us, like, we're like the superheroes behind the door, is what we really are. We're nurses, we're social workers, we're teachers, we're like parents. And yeah, and it can, it can be a bit stressful at times, but what job without stress is a job? It makes it more worthwhile. It's very rewarding, I will say. I always remind my friends that it's a very rewarding job. I often see some of my ex-prisoners in the community and just seeing them getting on to day-to-day life is so rewarding for me. It gives me like a, a nice feeling inside. 
just knowing that I've been a part of that process to help them be able to lead a normal life out of the prison because some people kind of feel like they're going to be like demonised or there's a lot of stigma attached to going to prison so they can't live a normal life. So when I see them in the community, like either on dates with their partners or just like in Tesco shopping, it's like we're back to being normal again. So a prison officer is, for me, we're the bridge between the community and the prison service. Like, we stand in between the grounds because we get to go home. What prison officer is a gentle person, is an understanding person, a form of authority. As much as we don't like to say it, we are a form of authority. We are. We are the peacekeepers. We're the social workers, we're the teachers, we are the parents, we are the counsellors. We are, for some people, the social service support that they're going to need. What we aren't, we're not horrible people. We're not there to punish people. And I feel like I always try to remind the guys is that the punishment is you being in prison. I'm not here to punish you any further. All I'm here to do is keep you safe. Sandra sees the importance of taking the time to get to know the prisoners. Ultimately, this understanding can be key to knowing how to prevent situations from escalating. Today, for example, um, one of the prisoners was... He basically smashed up his cell. He wasn't allowed back on his unit for that moment because he had no cell to go into. So I was talking to him, I was like, what's going on? He was like, I'm supposed to be released. They don't know why they're keeping me here. Obviously I'm frustrated. And he's currently um, on drug withdrawal, so he's on methadone to help him combat his heroin addiction. I've known him for the last four years. So obviously he's come back in, he's a bit more slimmer. You can see that he's actively been taking drugs. So I talked to him, I was like, what's going on? He's like, I don't even know what happened. Like, he's like, miss, you don't know me. I don't take drugs like this. It's like, you know, then he explains to me that when he was born, he was addicted to heroin. So then it gave me a bit more understanding. And I was like, do you know what? You haven't had the easiest of lives. Like, for someone to be born with already a day old and have a heroin addiction because their parent was taking heroin, Unfortunately, it kind of does set you back a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And life isn't going to be straightforward for him. So when he was talking to me, it made me feel like, do you know, you can't, act, you can't actually judge anyone by how you see them. You have to take time and get to know someone. One of the most important skills for a prison officer is listening. For Sandra, that's how to build a community and it's how best to support the prisoners. It's also a vital tool for addressing aggression, often before it's had the chance to flare up. Once your freedom is taken away from you, all you have left is your voice. Like, until we allow you to come out, you can't come out. It's someone else that holds the keys to the door that literally lets you out. It's something so petty like that. So their voice is the only power they really have to voice how they feel or to bring some form of change. So when they're speaking, it's about actually listening to what they've got to say because this is where some of them are going to be for either for life or for a moment. People have a lot of triggers and you don't realise how much men's mental health is affected in prison as well. So when they're speaking, it's probably the first time for many that they've spoken about them feeling down or feeling low or missing their family. Like, they don't always come in their strength. A lot of them come in their weakness. They'll come in the softest of voices. They will just be honest with you and say, I miss my family or, you know, maybe it might be the anniversary that their child died, for example, and you see them in their vulnerability. So to hear them and not listen to them would be in vain. It's better to listen because you're able to save them. That's how you build a community, by listening. It's about a give and take. They listen, we listen. We work with the information they give us and use it to support them. While prison can be defined by its regiments, the needs of those inside are the same as the rest of us. Thanks to her career, Sandra has gained an education in the importance of giving grace. It's about how you approach them. So if I wanted someone to go behind their door, 
I'm not the one that's going to shout. That's not my character. I don't hate shouting. Everyone knows that. But I'm going to get you back behind the door in the most gentle and politest way. But it's going to get done. We're going to have the few stragglers. So I need to be canteen. I need to do this. And it's about, that's when you start putting boundaries, saying, you had the time out, yeah. You need to go behind the door. They might be like, oh, come on, miss. I've got my canteen to do Thursdays. Or Thursdays is normally canteen day in most prisons. And you're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to do five minutes. And you're going to time him. And you're going to be like, by the time I get round and come back, you should be done. And literally, you're going to go back. I gave you five minutes. It's time to go back behind the door now. They can't argue with you because I gave you grace. You have to learn to give grace as and when you need to. Of course, we work with time, but we work with human beings. And human beings are very unpredictable. So it's about giving grace as and when. And also, when they speak, listen. Because that's how you're earning their respect. Because when they're speaking, just let them speak. I let them speak about how they feel, especially with some people that are prolific um, re-offenders. Let them explain everything and then give your input about what you're trying to do different. So, how do you earn respect when you're working in a prison? Clear communication is how you earn respect. Honesty is how you earn respect. And being real, so whatever that means to you, is what earns respect. Don't get me wrong, it's not always perfect. There are moments when the conference is direct to you. But it's also about how you handle it. And I feel like when you handle it in a professional manner um, and you remain human with them and you don't always, you don't rise to the level. If they're shouting, they know if you shout, I'm not going to shout. I don't do that. I don't believe in it. I haven't been boxed in or been held captive, if that makes sense. I've been given opportunities to be myself. And I feel like because I'm always being myself, people gravitate towards my natural character. Next up is Howard. Howard is a delivery and development manager at the Physical Education College, where they train the PE instructors for the prison service. His career has seen him work in numerous prisons before landing his current role. They look they're bloody scary, there's no doubt about it. You have more confidence with yourself, and you believe in your own sort of communication strategies, really, and you just do it, you know, you just say, oi, you know, what are you talking to me like that for? There's just such a vast array of characters, but it's not all doom and gloom. You know, they not all want to go in there and stab you. They not all want to go in there and hurt you. It's just a really good vibe in a gym environment. 99.9% .9 of the time in the gym environment it is, yeah, good fun. So how did Howard get involved in the prison service back in the 90s? I went to the job centre and the prison service were recruiting. Uh, on the shop window, there was a picture of a prison officer there was a prison officer working in the kitchen, uh, a picture of a dog handler, uh, and a chap with a, a 1970s moustache with a PE vest on. And I thought, you know what, that's what I want to do. I've always been heavily involved in, in sport and fitness, and I thought that is, the, that is the job for me, and I've never looked back. You can see prisoners' confidence, self-esteem increase. You can see them really come out of the shell, really wanting to engage in the activities, whereas before you might have to really sort of coax them down to get down. Um, just the whole demeanour changes positively, where the communication skills improve, um, you can see they feel much better about the self. If prisoners are going through a, a, a bad time, through some sort of depression, which is um, mental health issues on a wing, the, I mean, the gym really, really opens it up. Conflict resolution can be about composure and something as simple as being yourself. Here's Howard. The prison officer, interpersonal skills, you learn communication skills, strategies. All prison officers have the ability to deal with angry prisoners. When people are shouting and screaming at you, 
to be able to maintain that calmness is a real, real quality skill to have. And when prisoners see you that you're not reacting, you're not shouting back at them, it's quite hard for them to maintain that level of anger, really. And before you know it, just by saying, look, you know, I'm not shouting at you, what are you shouting at me for? And you can, all of a sudden, then you can start getting some meaningful dialogue. You've got to have good social skills, empathy. You've got to be honest. And be yourself, that is the key thing, be yourself. Don't try and be somebody else, don't try and be something that you're not, but be yourself. But be honest, honest with the prisoner and be honest with yourself. It's that simple. Respect is crucial in resolving conflict. In Howard's experience, those seeds can be sown in team sports or gym sessions, an arena where we can build trust and form relationships. When you're out there with them, and you might see them week after week doing the circuit, or you might you know, recognise what they're achieving. So you do have quite a good relationship with them, strong relationship with them. And I've been to incidents on a wing, responded to an alarm bell, where gone onto the wing, identified the prisoner as a gym user, regular comes to circuit, football, rugby, whatever it is. And they, they have that sort of trust with you. Quite a few times in my career, when I've gone there, seen the prisoner in, in a difficult position, he's put himself in, and to talk him through it, he's got the trust with you, where it could have gone one way where we would end up being restrained or cuffs being applied, or him hurting a member of staff or other prisoners, where actually, They've got that trust with you because they've been out in the rugby field with you on the Saturday before, they've been in the circuit with you on the Thursday night, and they, they trust you. And it definitely has an effect on, on prisoners where you can talk them down a lot of the time. The importance of sport inside a prison cannot be understated. Howard knows it can teach discipline, which he's seen prisoners use as a technique to prevent their anger getting out of control. Where our mild establishment used to play in an outside football league, Rugby league, volleyball league, certainly with rugby and football, the two sports you'd expect where there might be some conflict during, during the game. The prison team had the best disciplinary record because being represented, to go out and represent the first 11, first 15 in the prison was like a huge uh, accolade. And I've seen prisoners phone the parents and say, look, can you not visit me this weekend because I'm playing football for the prison? What prisoners learn from team sport particularly can have a real positive effect on, on the sort of take stock of what they are, what they've done perhaps in the past, can they be better for it, how they process the temperament more, where one time a day it might just be instantly react violently, where all of a sudden now they've got a bit of self-control, a bit of self-discipline. Working in the service, Howard has been called upon to resolve many tense moments. As you'll hear, Howard's belief is that you're best served by approaching these situations with calmness and understanding. I was responding to an alarm bell in the healthcare department where a prisoner had managed to get into a, a doctor's office. He didn't get the answer he wanted. He'd picked up some sort of weapon. I can't remember what it was. It was sharp and long. I think he'd broken a chair leg or something like that. He was waving it around. Everyone was giving him orders and he was waving it around and I could see it was going, it was going to get complicated. So I said, let me have a word with him. I know him. I shouted him. I went to the front. He knew me. Uh, I stayed far enough away so he, he, uh, I wasn't going to get hurt particularly. I just started talking to him and said, look, you know, put it down, put that down, back the staff out. There was a good staff response there. And everyone sort of just give him a little bit of breathing space. I spoke to him nice and smoothly, nice and calmly and said, this is what we're going to do. You're going to come out there, we're going to put the cuffs on because you cause a few problems. I'm going to walk you down back to your wing and we'll discuss it on the way back. And I said, you won't be restrained. And he, he trusted me from that. And from there, we walked him back down to his wing 
just went through the moat, rubbed him down, put the cuffs on, and he was, he was fine. But that could have gone quite easily one the other way, yeah. But he, uh, again, it's just having that, that trust and understanding and a bit of sort of respect for each other. Next, we'll hear from Carol, who manages a team of psychologists working across 10 prisons. The work they do is critical in changing violent behaviours. The psychologists teach the prison staff techniques to defuse and de-escalate conflict. And as Carol explains, these skills can also be applied in everyday life. To manage a serious incident, we have a, a, a structured approach, but the principles we use are the things that we actually teach staff to use day to day because obviously prisons can be difficult and stressful places and day-to-day -day stresses and strains that you or I might be able to cope with in a normal circumstance I think become heightened for people when they're, they have very few options and very little control over their environment. So getting the wrong meal that you've ordered at lunchtime can be a significantly greater trigger. So although the uh, helping staff develop their skills for the serious incidents is more targeted, the principles that we use of listen and give the person space to actually explain what the issue is. Try and show that you understand that. Rather than trying to jump in and fix the problem, understand their feelings about it, so a reflection of their emotions. I can see this is really frustrating you. I can see how frustrated you are. I can understand why that would make you angry. Is much more useful than saying to them, calm down and speak to me quietly. So the questioning technique that we help people develop is much more about reflecting what they're saying. So instead of using open-ended questions all the time, you might use a question that just takes the last part of what they said and reflect it back to them. You say you're really angry because he did this, he did that. And simply by saying those few words at the end, that actually will set somebody all off again and explain in more detail, but also shows that you understand what's important to them. It's clear then that listening and reflecting can help diffuse a situation. It helps someone feel that they've been heard and understood. It can play a huge part in conflict resolution inside the prison walls and it's something we could all probably use more of. As Carol describes, being attentive and compassionate is how we build trust. So the, the technique predominantly is about listening, showing understanding and developing a relationship with the person so that when you are then moving to try and help them a little bit more effectively, they feel you're somebody you can trust. Being calm, reassuring, understanding, listening, and then you can actually, once you feel that the person's had a chance to explain why they're so angry or so annoyed by a situation, it's only then you can start to say to them, what kind of things have you thought about doing to resolve this? And rather than saying to them, why don't you go and do this solution? The ideal is to say, what are the things you've thought about doing? Which ones do you think might be more effective? And have you tried that thing you suggested? Carol is also the lead in negotiation, training and development. She's often involved in interactions with prisoners and shared an example of an experience where empathy and respect helped simmer down what could have been an extremely volatile situation. There was one situation I was involved with where a um, man had been told his brother had died. He was in a very high security prison and would not be able to go out to the funeral. There's a whole associated set of conditions that you have to consider 
And whilst it's very difficult for the person, we couldn't release that man to go out. There was a security risk in relation to that. He then made some threats toward his cellmate and was threatening harm to him because he wanted to force us to allow him to go to the funeral. So in the dialogue we were having with that man about why this had happened and what we were going to do, the first thing that people wanted to say to him is, you can't go to the funeral. And to try and get him to understand that there were security reasons and this is why we've made the decision. Whereas actually what we did is established a dialogue that said, you've just learned your brother's died, that must be incredibly hard for you. Tell us about your brother, tell us about yourself. How did you find out about this? How did you felt when you found out about it? And I actually understood that for this person, being told that news in that circumstance was very, very difficult. He probably knew he wasn't going to get to go to the funeral, but what he was feeling was grief and emotion and sadness. And given the very limited range of options you've got when you're in prison about how you express yourself, he, at that moment, had felt like this is the way of expressing how he was feeling about that situation. We applied very specifically some of the techniques I've talked about to actually allow him to explore some of those emotions and feelings, recognise how he felt, and then he was able to then, having ventilated his emotions, come to the realisation himself that the situation he was in wasn't going to end the way he wanted it to do. Um, and we were able to then resolve that incident peacefully where nobody was injured and obviously we couldn't change the man's sadness, but we were able to actually resolve things in an appropriate manner. Next you'll hear from Mark. He's been in and out of prison ten times since first being a young offender, but is now thriving in his role at the Prison Reform Trust, a UK charity working to create a penal system that works for everyone. So what did Mark learn about conflict resolution during his time inside? 100% I picked up learnings from inside prison about conflict resolution. I live in London. Have you ever got on a tube at 7 o'clock, half 7 in the morning in London? People don't say excuse me, they just barge past you and move you out of the way. Firstly, people are human beings. No matter if they wear a uniform or they're, they're being held in prison, people are still human beings. And just like they might have a bad day driving into work, you know, and be a bit short with someone, or be a bit angry with someone, the, the people in prison are exactly the same. So I would say, if your first interaction in the morning is with someone who's got the ump, and they've been a bit blunt, they've been a bit aggressive, remember that they've been in a cell probably for 18, 19 hours before that, and just been let out. So to give that time and space to just assess the situation and first and foremost just see people as human beings who, who go through human emotions just like anyone else. It can feel inevitable that a situation about to reach boiling point is going to escalate into something more frightening. However, Mark explains that simply asking for an explanation can, at times, reverse the hostility. I remember one when there was two guys arguing on the landing and an older member of staff that had probably been in the job 25 years came along and asked the question what's going on here 
what that does is that gives the person an opportunity to explain themselves without violence because they've been asked a question. Now it might take, that, and that kind of diffused the situation straight away. The lads would manage to go behind their door, and then that older member of staff with the experience went and spoke to them individually and stuff like that, and the situation was sorted out. Resolving conflict can also be preventative. Listening to someone's needs and understanding the situation they find themselves in can prevent immediate aggression. Likewise, it could be a factor in helping address patterns of anger, especially if we're dealing with someone who finds themselves at a watershed moment in their life. There were times when I was struggling, I was going through family court with my children and I was due to go to court on a Friday morning and Thursday night I was told that I can't attend because there wasn't enough members of staff, so obviously I'm very angry, I'm very frustrated, and a member of staff that I got on with quite well come and calmed me down and spoke to me and, and helped me come up with a solution where he was actually going to Turkey the next day on a nighttime flight, and he, was, and he actually came in in the morning to take me to court so I could attend family court and take me back to the prison and then rush to the airport still in his uniform, to make his family holiday. For me, that was like, because he came up with that scenario and solution and said if he's allowed to do that, he will do that, that diffused the situation instantly. What that scenario did was it showed me that actually you're not always let down by the system. Because if that had happened, I would have just felt like, well, that's what happens. This is what the system is. Yeah, and I would have not been able to see it in a different light. But I was treated like a human being. My, my human side was attended to, that I had feelings that I would, was upset. And I would have never been on the journey that I had now. So my behaviour probably wouldn't have changed to a point where I would have been rebellious, violent or angry, but I would have stayed stagnated to where I was. After that incident, it enabled me to push myself further and, and go on the journey that I ended up going on. I'm not saying, oh, look at me, pat me on the back, I've done so brilliantly and well, but actually, look at me, I've done brilliantly and well because I've been to prison 10 times, I ended up with a life sentence and I was stuck in that rut and now I've been out for four and a half years and I work for a, a, an extremely professional and well-known and good charity. I go back into prisons and I help people and I do all this great work and I, you know, and that could, could have been a pivotal moment within that. that. That could have been the difference from me not doing that. It might seem basic, but it's important to understand that the first step in getting to the root of someone's anger is more often than not to make sure you're dealing with them on a human level. At the age of 30, I went to HMP Grendon, which is a therapeutic prison. When I got off the van, a member of staff came up and shook my hand and called me by my first name. It's the first ever time throughout my whole time with the criminal justice system that that has happened. I thought it was a stitch-up. So there's that we've been treated as a human being and that bit of humanity. Uh, prison systems are dehumanising by design or not by design. Either way, they're dehumanising, bringing in that human element. So I spent five years there where I was treated as a human being. It was the first time someone had actually asked me why I did what I did. Why are you feeling like that? Why do you behave like that? And there's got to be something in that. I had, since I left there, I've not committed crime. Again, I've really been quite successful in my life, luckily.
So there's got to be something within that. The advice that I would give to them is speak to people. Don't dictate to people. Don't bark orders at people. Speak to them. Open up a two-way dialogue. Get to know people. Because again, it goes back to that awareness and understanding. You don't lose the power if you have a two-way dialogue with someone and, and actually enjoy that conversation. It could be about football. It could be about weather. It could be about family life outside. It doesn't always need to be serious, serious talk. It could be jovial talk. It could be... Because what happens is you treat people as an equal. Suss a situation, speak to people, treat people like human beings. Because let's remember, it could be your brother, your mother, your sister or your father in that situation one day, or even yourself. If it was your son or daughter, how would you like them to be treated? Listening to all these experiences, it's clear that whilst some conflict is unavoidable, creating a rapport, understanding through listening and treating people as human beings can be key to resolving tense situations. We're going to close today with the same voice we started with, as Sandra shares a story that highlights all of these methods and the difference they can make to the life of a prisoner. One of my orderlies, that's orderly, is like a trusted prisoner per se, um, today I like have a job. And at the time he was at one of my cleaners and he was going to be transferred to another prison. He'd just been sentenced to nine years EDS, which means he gets nine years, but he has to serve two thirds of his sentence. So obviously for that already, his confidence had been blown. He's ready. He didn't expect it. Um, so obviously, naturally, his morale's a bit low um, and he ended up getting into, into a fight with another prisoner. But with prison, things happen so quickly. Before you know it, there's a fight and it's, you have to de-escalate the situation. But because of the rapport I'd had of him, I was able to get him into this, our surgery where we served the meal. And I just put him in there and I shut the door and I said to him, I know you're angry right now. I know you probably feel like, how did this happen to me? How did I get um, sabotaged? How did I let this guy come and hurt me and hit me and whatnot? But I said to him, just think about it. You're here for two more days and then you're going. I was like, I know you're going to be thinking about everyone else or what everyone thinks about you, but in the truth of the matter, that does not matter today. I was like, just listen, 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 just listen to what I'm talking, saying to you. And he was always shouting and I'm like to him, you can shout. Or I'm not telling you not to shout. I would shout too because someone's hit me. You feel violated, of course. But the bigger picture is, I need you on that bus to go so you can actually begin your transition and begin your journey to be able to lower your risk, get back into the community. And I remember him just looking at me and he just started crying. And I was like to him, just take a moment. And I remember I come back, I left him in there and I closed the door and I came back out and then we like got everyone away. And one of the prisoners came up to me, he's like, miss, like, I can't lie, I respect you so much, you know? And I said, why? He was like, you handled that so well. It's like, you didn't want him to get in trouble, but not because he didn't, because he didn't, because he did something wrong, but you helped him to see like, you're only here for two days and then you're going. There's no point of making this a big hoo-ha, making it more dangerous than it already, already is already. But you helped him to see that, do you know what? If I could bite my tongue, I know it's burning him and I know it's hurting him, but you've made all of us feel much safer. And you know, sometimes you do things, don't realize people are even watching. Like, I'm just literally doing what's natural to me. So even in, even in that situation, it was just like, oh, like I just went home and as I normally did. And then this year I was able to see him again because I moved prisons temporarily. And then when I was, I was walking through the unit, I saw him. 
and he just started shouting, he's like, oh my God, miss. And I was like, oh my God, he comes down, please. He was like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. And I was talking to him, I was like, how's your brother? How's your, your child, your mom? He's like, you remember? I said, I remember everything. <laughs> I've got one of those memories, I remember everything. And he was like, wow, like, he's like, thank you so much for that day. Like, he's like, otherwise I'd end up probably getting more days or getting another case added because the thoughts that were going through my mind were just to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. But you just helped me just to keep my cool it was so hard because I put things in place to make sure like he had a separate regime just to like just to limit the contact they was gonna have because I knew that if they got into contact again it was only gonna be another further um more further violence or something worse could happen but he was so appreciative of the fact that I was able to just stop and think and help him think and look like I could see the bigger picture so there's a theme that has become clear over the course of today's episode and it is the building of tools to support ourselves in the midst of conflict. As members of the prison service told us today, composure, empathy and respect can be at the heart of an effective response. Just as we heard from Carol and Sandra, getting to know the root of someone's anger and the circumstances they're living through can help us understand how best to address their violent reaction. But also conflict can be resolved through preventative means. Just as Howard explained, giving a healthy outlet for someone's anger can help them channel those emotions in a safer space, one where no one needs to be victimised. And as Mark explained, from the perspective of someone who's been there, sometimes just being listened to can bring you back from the edge. So thank you for listening. Subscribe now to get the rest of the series where we'll be covering guides to workmates and taking the leap. And if you want to find out more about working for His Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, just search online for prison jobs. <laughs>